looking at today and the topic is the change that's happened in self-storage, right, in the last six months due to the change in the overall markets, what that means, what we're seeing, key principles, and what you should do. So I think we have 800 to a million square feet in this market. Uh, so to give you an idea, we have more square footage and assets than the REITs do in that market. So it's uh, we have enough there to give us good feedback information. And the market itself tends to be exaggerated what the rest of the United States is. And that's a great tool for us to then use and apply across the board. All right, guys, Connor here from the Self Storage Income Podcast. I'm just as excited as you guys are to dive into this episode. But first, we have to give out a huge shout out to our amazing sponsors. So as you guys know, we like to partner with people who have been in the self-storage industry for a very long time and people who are not going anywhere, who are going to stay in the self-storage industry. One of those people is Janice International. These guys have been in the self-storage world for a very long time. They're an incredible company with amazing products to help build, to help improve and to help drive value of your self-storage facility. They've got rehabilitation programs like their R3 program. They have a number of technology solutions to help you increase operations and value of your self-storage facility. Be sure to check out the all things self-storage at Janus International. Link is in the show notes. Welcome everybody to self-storage income and Wow, do we have a podcast today? Me, me and Connor were talking this morning. So we've been in meetings. This morning, we've been in meetings where we've been analyzing our rates. We're analyzing our markets. We do targeted meetings. And let me kind of explain how these meetings work and what we're doing for everybody listening. So you understand the context, why we decided to today's uh, subject, where we're coming from. But you also get to understand, I think, kind of how we operate. So one of the things that we do is, as anybody listening to this, knows we are an operator right and a syndicator so we have a private equity side we have the operator side we've been operating since prior to 2008 we did not start syndicating right until the last four years um, one of the things that we've done is we've grown we've been balancing this growth on the private equity side over the last three four years um, and our operational pr uh, management side as well and as we stacked assets um, we've been growing a lot internally, um, but one of the things that we do and we focus on, which I, it's, there actually, it was funny, we were talking about this, my favorite meeting that we have um, out of all the meetings in our company. And what we're doing is we get together our uh, revenue management specialist and marketing specialist operations, right? So Connor that uh, heads up uh, our operations of our company, we get our acquisition, our um, finance and underwriting team, and then me together, we go into a room, we take a market, and all we're doing is we are looking at asset performance as it relates to revenue management rates and the overall plan that we had for the asset, where it is on the revenue management side, the rate management side, and how those things are being affected with different market conditions. So as we're all sitting in there, it's kind of this brain trust to understand pricing, occupancy, um, and saying we're on this path, what are the inputs that are coming in that are telling us we either need to change something, that something's happening, 
and uh, are we leaving stuff on the table? What are the dangers, right? As it relates to the performance of those assets. Mm-hmm. Design- have we been underwriting correctly? Yes. You know, our, our assumptions, you know, coming to fruition or have we, you know, vastly missed the mark? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, phenomenal meeting. And we do this on every week and we take a batch of assets. So it's not like we do it as a whole because that would be take way too long. So what we do is we take three of them, right? And there are three of them that are within that same exact market, not three mm-hmm. Yeah, we crossed. kind of pick the market more yes, so than exactly. the facilities. More than yeah. the facilities. Because what we're doing is we're analyzing that market and our performance within it. Um, it's very enlightening, first of all, because we're pulling data from all parts of the company. Mm-hmm. We're looking and our finance team and our head of underwriting, they come in and they present, all right, Here's the rate, history, price per square foot. Here's our ad spend. Here's where occupancies levels are. Here's where's what's worked, what we're seeing. Here's what the market's reflecting. So we get a rundown right off the bat of our current situation in the context to the life of that asset. And then the whole goal for us right to do is to discuss and to talk about changes that need to be had. So we're in this meeting as we're going over asset performance looking. And uh, me and Connor were like, this is a great topic that we should talk about in the podcast today because so much of what we're doing is not only um, changing, right? Uh, It's changing in the aspect that the market's changed. So we are moving with the market. We are adjusting previous things that have been working and we're going on to different ways. We're also looking and we can see very clearly the performance within those markets on independent operators, right? Mom and pops versus REITs. And you can see we're, we're analyzing what they're doing. And that has been a huge change, meaning the REITs have changed. But the independent operators, right, and the mom and pops, they haven't. And that's showing up massively. In fact, our in this batch of assets in this market, um, we were very critical of our own performance because we had not changed fast enough. Mm-hmm. And that was evident and we could see it happening right in real time. And it's like, man, we are, uh, we're a few months too late, right? So now we need to be playing a little bit of catch up on these this one market, um, which we, we obviously, that's the worst thing that we could ever be doing. Uh, and as we were walking through and talking about it, we realized, it, first of all, most independent operators, right? Or mom and pops, it's not only that, um, they are not going to change. They don't even recognize that there has been a change that they need to adapt to. And we're we're criticizing ourselves on being late to when a couple of the REITs like public storage and extra space had already changed and they were leading the way. Um, It was at that time that me and Connor were like, we need to talk about this because the realization that 90% of all of those owners in this market, they won't change. Mm-hmm. They're not looking at the information. They're not, they're not actively engaged in it. Their strategy won't change and they're just simply going to be hurt by it. And you don't need to be. So looking at today and the topic is the change that's happened in self-storage, right? In the last six months due to the change in the overall markets, what that means, what we're seeing, key principles and what you should do. So. That's the topic of today. We uh, we do these every single week, but it was this particular market um, that the change was very evident in. We actually view this market as like the canary in the coal mine. It's something we've 
always looked at. I've always seen it because it changes more exaggerated. It's a larger market, about 800 and 800 to a million people, but um, we have assets spread across the whole market. So I think we have 800 to a million square feet in this market. Uh, so to give you an idea, we have more square footage and assets than the REITs do in that market. So it's uh, we have enough there to give us good feedback information. And the market itself tends to be exaggerated what the rest of the United States is. So it's this microchasm of a market that leads us to larger themes that either people may be missing or they're not looking at it at all, um, but it's also exaggerated. And that's a great tool for us to then use and apply across the board. So we hope that what we learn from this, you guys can really use and, and it helps you. Is that fair? No, I love it, man, because this is this is one of those things that in storage or any business right now with these macroeconomic factors that are impacting industries across the country and around the world. Um, these are these are subjects, you know, pricing structure strategy that need to be front of mind for everybody, because, again, like like what AJ's talking about here is us being critical of our own uh, complacency, essentially, and not adjusting 100%. soon enough and quickly enough and analyzing these things. But I mean, that's the point of these meetings, right? Be able yes. to uh, more consistently sit down and identify uh, these trends that are happening and being able to become more uh, proactive versus reactive uh, when these changes are, changes are taking place. And obviously there's there's a lot of moving pieces. You got the macro economic elements, and then you've also got the seasonality <laughs> elements and all these different things where you're looking at all these metrics and uh, it's hugely important to to constantly be calculating and testing pricing. And and you you brought a good point. Our our criticism on ourselves, particularly in this market, was we had been complacent due to the fact that and by complacence I mean complacence by our standards. Um, we had been complacent on um, revenue management. Um, I think we had been complacent on. Um, different marketing techniques that we operate predicated on uh, demographics and changes and targeted things. Uh, and what we did, and one of the ways that we measure this, right, uh, to give context, we're looking at the overall marketplace comparing the assets, the revenue per square foot versus occupancy, both physical, economic. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at how those things correlate and then we also take into account at looking at a past as the money that was left on the table. So we often talk about, and I say this all the time, if you're looking at a new deal or if you're going to build something, you want to analyze the money on the table. The money on the table that's being left there by the previous owner that you can take. That goes the same for us. And so we're analyzing and we analyze the money on the table. The money on the table, I think, was fairly significant if you looked at a refinance right at a six cap, which that's the refinancing rate that we get from banks, that's why we're just using that simple thing. And you know, if you if you looked at the money on the table, it's millions. In fact, across that whole portfolio, I'd argue to say it's ten million dollars on a refinance that if took place uh, today versus literally six months ago, if we if we would have done some very simple changes, there was ten million dollars that at the same debt financing, meaning 70-30, right, that you would refinance today versus then would have been left on the table. 
-hmm. that's financially devastating, right? And when we look at that, that's where we're looking at ourselves and we're, we're talking about it. Now, two, just so everyone knows, these are all personal assets I'm talking about here. These are not syndicated assets, okay? We don't have one of these assets that are, are syndicated. Uh, and I think that was also another reason we identified was our focus had shifted onto mm -hmm. the private equity side from the personal held one where it was just like everything was on that. And we just said, this isn't a good market. It's doing great. We don't need as much attention. That was stupid. We shouldn't obviously ever do that for any reason. And it wasn't a conscious thing. We didn't literally say, it's just that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's why it happened, obviously. Uh, so anyways, that's our own uh, faults and how we measured where, where we left out and the impacts of us not being conscious and not being active. I, there's a monetary effect outside month to month revenue, right? Or occupancy. And that's a value affected across the whole board. And it's really important to know, not just where you're going, like how much, but what what is the cost of your mistakes? And I think people don't look at that and especially mm -hmm. independent operators do not look at that. They don't look at the value, what they're missing. They're not measuring it. They're not calculating it. We have an asset that we increased the revenue by 62%. Funny enough, it's actually on the screen, uh, 62%. And when most people say, wow, AJ, you raised rates by 62, it's a 63, something like that percent. And we say, no, actually we didn't, we raised rates less than 20% on an overall per square foot basis. And people go, how can that happen, right? So how, how did you get less than a 20% on your square foot basis raise in rents, but yet your revenue rose at 63%. This is the correlation that we're talking about right now. We're talking about that correlation between economic occupancy and physical occupancy. That example is, I think, shows and as a comparison to what should have been more happening with these assets that we just kind of slacked on. Yeah, I mean, the writing was on the wall. It's not like we, we didn't have access to the information or nope. were unable to see, you know, it's not like we had a crystal ball, but obviously, you know, we have all these indicators in the markets and we've got all this data from the facilities uh, we have access to all this stuff, and it was just our lack of, of properly analyzing it and staying on top of it. Um, and another thing, too, talking, you know, business strategy uh, in regards to, you know, pricing structures, uh, this, this shift of focus from driving revenue and shifting that to occupancy. Because um, mm -hmm. you made some really good points. You, you probably want to touch on, you know, shifting to that, that occupancy mindset because really that's the fundamental building block first and foremost. Yes. Then it's the dynamic pricing. Then it's the revenue management and all these aspects that go into that. 100%. into that a little bit. But. Absolutely. This is a, a very key thing. And, and this can get very confusing. So we, we want to kind of walk through this because a lot of people say, okay, you say occupancy doesn't matter, right? And it, it, it doesn't, right? What we're talking about on the revenue standpoint and what we're talking about on the occupancy is in order to do um, revenue management, adjust pricing, things like that. You obviously have to have the tenants to do it. So what it means is if you're not bringing those tenants in and you're not affecting that, they, they're not in the cycle of uh, maximizing the revenue per square foot. They're not in that ability. So all the abilities that we have to get that 62% rate increase, you obviously can't get without a tenant. And what we've had is a large shift and this kind of gives the economy, which 
you know, you were just talking about, what were you just reading like on CNBC? Yeah, CNBC just talked about um, how pricing is one of those things that a lot of businesses and industries are, are really starting to hone in and focus on right now uh, with all these macroeconomic elements going on. Obviously, with inflation, with interest rates, it's having a massive impact on whether it's retail, whether it's e-commerce, any of these things. Uh, people really need to be analyzing their pricing. And so it kind of just ran through uh, the changes that, that people are seeing and that overall shift of focus and how important it is to ensure that you're continually looking at your pricing structures and testing them. And it gave some brief kind of you know strategies and, and concepts as to you know what you can be doing right now to to accomplish that. But also and so we're seeing just, it. Everywhere. We've got to look at it. Yeah, yes. it's one of these things. It's everyone's looking at pricing um, because it's a huge deal, man. It's affecting everything. It's absolutely affecting everything because if obviously, and we've seen it, if if prices aren't in alignment with the market and what people will actually pay, this is kind of another another point that maybe we can touch on a little bit too is. You know, instead of constantly looking at historical data, looking at what the market's actually doing. Exactly. Because um, that's another huge aspect of, of ensuring that your pricing is competitive. And because at the end of the day, if the market's not demanding it, like... Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're done. And so, so this pricing restructuring, and we can give the example of what we're seeing in the markets of what REITs are doing, um, is happening everywhere. And uh, what I believe currently is happening, right, is that we have been in a cyclical market that has lasted longer than any bull market we've ever been in in the United States. First and foremost, um, the vast majority, right, of investors and people out there, right, they are, they've come into this market, they've never seen anything outside this current existing um, uh, trend. And the trends are shifting and the economy is restructuring and the pricing needs to correlate with what's happening in the economy. And that's why we have pricing structures. I think that it shows that customers, due to the rapid rise of inflation, interest rates and everything else are no longer accepting what they have been for years. And that's just simple price increases and businesses can't get away with what they could get away with in upper bull markets. This is generally a sign on things that we see that are leading into recessions that are leading into downturns. And that's the key. We're moving from this upward market into a downward market and people need to adjust the strategy. They need to adjust the pricing. They need to adjust the marketing. We're seeing it across the economy and we're seeing it within um, REITs as well. To give you an example, in some of these markets we're talking about, if you actually go and you analyze what the REITs are currently offering today or pricing, it is, I mean, we're talking 50, 60% of what the market is currently generally offering or getting. So we have units on the market today that are priced at 150 plus bucks across the board. But then you have two REITs within that market and spread out within this market's a combination of like five cities, right? which we are spread across all of them. Um, and they're pricing at 80 bucks. So you ask yourself, you're like, okay, well, why are they pricing at 80 bucks? That doesn't make any sense. They're gonna lose money, right? And I can't do that. So first of all, what they're doing 
is not about getting $80 a unit. And this is the thing people still have a hard time understanding. They will get 150 bucks. What they're doing is they're putting the customer into the system so then they could really do what makes money. Revenue management on that paying customer. So I can discount that to capture the customer to increase my upfront demand. I will be very aggressive on my internal rate increases and changes. And I know that even if it's 50% of those people that are paying $80 stay, I'm going to get them up to 180 bucks, maybe even 200 bucks, like most of them will. So then all of a sudden, when you go over a year period of time, while everybody else that was at 180 bucks are struggling, vacancies dropping, right? Then the REITs have high occupancy and people say, yeah, but they have high occupancy at 80. But by the end of the year, that's actually not true at all. And they're actually probably getting higher rents than what people are asking. Maybe they drop their rents to 150 or 140. Well, the rates in place, internal rents could be all the way up to 200 bucks. And then all of a sudden the independent operators are like, well, I can't do that for 80. Well, neither can they. And they may lose a bunch of those customers due to the rate increases, but it's a churn. Mm -hmm. And they know that the core base tenants that they get up, so it's a 10% or 15% churn, but 85% of the core that is staying is paying 200, even though they're asking 80. That is what we're talking about here. Whereas let's say six, eight months prior, we had in that same market, REITs, everybody else were offering 180. No one gave discounts. Nobody had to do anything because it didn't matter. And people would just walk in and be happy to pay. And things were at 90% occupancy. Exactly. Higher. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and crazy. so it's the game is changing. And it's the way that people are getting customers, getting them in. But that doesn't mean that those... $80 rates, all of a sudden those assets are just losing money. In fact, it's probably the opposite. Mm -hmm. You go a year and they're giving away at 50% of what the market rate is and their revenue and their average rate will actually probably be higher than it was before. In fact, most likely. Um, that would be shocking to me if it wasn't uh, because that's just not how it works. So their mm -hmm. revenue is increasing. Their actual rates, their in-place rates are increasing. Even though to everybody else, it looks like they're just slashing rates. And this is what the independent and the mom and pops are missing. So what happens instead is they just slash rates and they're trying to just get occupancy. That's it. And that's why I say occupancy doesn't matter. It's the wrong focus. Revenue management and rate management matters. Occupancy only matters in the form of getting those people in to do that thing, right? So when people look at it and say they're giving away the farm, I can't make money doing that, uh, they're gonna fail, right? they're not actually getting that rate. Uh, it, like It's not like their revenue per square foot or their revenue is actually dropping. It's mm -hmm. actually increasing. And those rates are, are rising. And so this is too, by the way, what we do, okay? So when we look at it, one of the things that we had become complacent or lazy on is the our, our market rate, our street rate that we enforced had just remained super high we hadn't done any adjust adjustments or anything else like that because we had just gotten it for so long. We had become complacent. And what that meant was that as our occupancies, lo our occupancies lowered, right, um, 
the reason why I think we become complacent too is occupancies are much lower than, I mean, uh, across the board on those assets, we're probably at like 83%, maybe 80%. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really important to know that our revenue on those assets is up like 20%. So then people may say, well, why do you care? That shouldn't be a big thing. And I think what that tells us, in place rents, we're getting the increases. We're not getting the new customers in though to drive the in place rents. So we're not getting the fuel to the engine that needs to be had because we didn't do that radius. And that will catch up to us, right, eventually. So we need to get, if it's 20%, if we would have been doing it earlier on, it probably would have been more like 30% because we would have gotten somebody in six months ago at a rate that was lower, but we would have already gotten them up and we would have already been doing rate increases and our per square foot rent will go. I hope this makes sense, everybody. It mm -hmm. makes perfect sense in my head, but that's because we're doing it yeah. and we're doing it. So once again, the YouTube, the YouTube video actually walks through this and visualizes it. I show the charts and stuff. So you can go piggyback on this conversation to there to really grasp an understanding of this process. If you guys are looking to purchase your first storage facility, you just might be looking at the SBA loan approach and one of the best and most efficient places to get your SBA from is going to be Live Oak Bank. These people know self-storage. They've been in the industry for a very long time. They're very knowledgeable. You don't have to educate them on the underwriting, on how you're, you're valuing self-storage, any of that. These guys are incredible at valuing self-storage. They know how to underwrite it, and they are a phenomenal solution for you and your financing needs in all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank. The self-storage industry is one of the most incredible industries to be a part of, real estate investment or otherwise. It's such an amazing community to, to be a part of and to enjoy. One of the big, huge things that self-storage has been absolutely lacking, though, is technology, and that's where Tenant Inc. comes in. Tenant Inc. is your one-stop shop solution for all things property management. They have a plethora of amazing tools at your fingertips that you can use to optimize your facility, to run it as smoothly and efficiently as possible, to maximize revenues, and to really drive value of your storage facility. Be sure to check out Tenant Inc. Link is in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah, definitely go and check that out for sure. I know um, AJ's been pumping out the YouTube videos like crazy. Um, those are looking amazing. But I mean, think of this as like a, a filter to get to the customers and consumers that you want, the highest paying ones. Essentially is what this whole entire strategy of, of this churn that AJ's talking about, that's really what, what's occurring here. And that average, again, that average value, uh, revenue, what you're getting across the board is going to be more than not. And dude, I love discussions like this because it, it, it open up the opening up these dichotomies of, uh, you know, is revenue more important or is occupancy more important as well? Like they're both yes. extremely important. Um, yeah. But you have to weigh the balance and identify that at certain points in time, occupancy is drastically more important. At yes. certain points in time, the revenue management is, is drastically more important. So I because love you didn't have to do anything, yeah. right? It's just like the occupancy, we didn't have to do anything, so it wasn't nearly as important because yeah. it was just there, Yeah. right? And that was the market cycle we've all been in, right? It's not there. Mm -hmm. It's not there anymore, which yeah. we've been talking about this forever. 
it, it, once again, it's not like we didn't, we don't know this. Not <laughs> exactly. like we didn't know, we, we've been talking, we've been doing this on all our other assets. It was just this one uh, location, everything that we looked at. And we're like, man, we hadn't been focusing on. We've been telling and talking about this on the podcast, but I don't think we've ever put it together quite like this for an understanding. And this uh, meeting that we had and discussed on this batch of assets was the perfect example to illustrate this, I believe, mm -hmm. and show um, why this is important. Uh, so takeaways here. Okay, everybody. Um, your influx of customers, it's just not that you're dropping rate and getting any customer in, right? You need to be strategic on your marketing. And this is, we, we can go 10 layers deep into how we do this and what we do. Um, very hard to talk about it without showing it to make sense, mm -hmm. but our targeted marketing predicated on demographics, home ownership, um, income levels, right? All that kind of thing. We're not discounting to everybody. That's important. We're discounting to the right people that uh, rent to income is adjustable to a point where we can get the per square foot up. And so it's about, we are willing to drop rates and everything on that incoming individual that we want in enough to entice them to get in to exercise that process of the rate management. So when you're looking at your asset, realize you can do this on a very simple level. You don't need to do the whole 10 layers deep or the demographics. You need to be marketing, grabbing people, getting them into the facility and have a individualized revenue management in place per tenant, not broad-based. If you do it broad-based, it doesn't work. You have op uh, occupancy fluctuations that make you stop doing that. Um, and then if you tie those three things in together, it's revenue magic, right? And that's how, like for the example in YouTube and this other ones, we went from basically it was 30,000 a month to 60,000 a month in less than 12 months while uh, which is an over, you know, 62% or 63% total increase, depending on where you're looking at on that revenue side, uh, while only maintaining a 19% increase in the per square foot rate. It's that management of those three aspects. And anybody, you guys, everybody can do this, right? Now, very few people talk about this for two reasons. First of all, I've, honestly, I'm not even sure. I've never met an independent operator that does it to the level we do it at all. That's, 100%. Only for rates, um, and they they don't know understand it. But also to they've never had to do it, right? So they they've never had to do it. They didn't know about it, or more importantly, they don't want to share it with anybody. This is the secret sauce. Okay, it, this comes down to everything we're doing. Our goal on here is to be extraordinarily transparent and to say the things and to talk about the things that either people won't tell or talk about, or those that do want you to pay a huge sum of money to get that tidbit of information, right? Um, we're very open about this process of secrets and you should be uh, implementing them and you can do it without having to have a huge company staffing. You don't need to do that kind of stuff. We did all our revenue management, our marketing and our occupancy analysis, right? literally on an Excel spreadsheet by ourselves. It was like me and Sam would be sitting, looking at a market, looking at rates and revenue, and we'd be basically going unit by unit. Um, you can completely do this yourself. And we did for years, okay? This is important to know. Um, and we did this when times weren't good. This is how we cut our teeth on it. We cut our teeth doing this when occupancies 
were 60%, 65%, and you couldn't get rate increases because it was the Great Recession. That's when we really had to dive deep. And when markets are really good, you get really bad operators because they don't have to do anything like that. They don't learn it. They don't have SOPs. They don't have standard operating procedures. They've never experienced it. They don't know the reactors, right? And I'm really grateful that the most, I mean, you're talking about our first pretty much 10 years or excuse me, our first five years um, in the industry was not easy nor fun. Um, and it was a struggle operationally to do anything, right? And so that's what led to us. We are moving back into that cycle, everybody. So we are, we're moving into the cycle right now where you cannot simply get it because the market hands it to you. It's mm-hmm. not gonna work. Well, and like you mentioned earlier too, this isn't gonna be just this, you know, downturn bounce back scenario. No. It's not gonna go anywhere for a while. No, we have markets. I was just analyzing a market where we have assets. There are 26 square feet per capita in that market today. They have another easily six square feet per capita coming on board that is about to open up. You have developers in there that have basically shut down halfway through, they're having issues. You've got people that occupancies, right, kind of are dropping. And the things that are driving uh, driving this, where they were riding this big wave, that now that that shift, that occupancy isn't just gonna be full because of excess demand. Now you're gonna have developers that maybe didn't do anything in storage that have uh, units popping up they just need to fill up. They're going to drop rates like rocks and they're going to cut expenses and uh, they're doing anything they can to break even on these assets that aren't filling up now. Other operators then in those markets are dealing with excess inventory coming onto the market and dropping overall rates, right? And then they are doing knee-jerk reactions to be uh, competitive with that. And this is the important thing. When I talk about the REITs that dropped it to $80, they're full. They're not developments that are just trying to mm-hmm. get open and up. They, there's a plan with it. Um, but we're gonna see this in the marketplace in, in markets like the one that I just mentioned across the United States. Uh, our acquisition team is in, and as they're watching on the meeting, this is the things they're looking for. So in this market, they're, they're the ones communicating to us. All of these owners, they've already got everything from mailing lists to all these other things they're in contact with. They're, we use Salesforce, and we're 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 not only bringing them in; they're in our funnel, and we're identifying the ones that are affected the most, because those are the ones that we have the most opportunity with to go and purchase. And buy out. This affects every aspect of your business: getting the assets, managing, operating the assets, and this also brings in opportunity. And uh, we've been talking about how it'll go and why there's opportunity, right? And it's generated from the excess in a lot of markets tied to the decreasing in demand due to higher interest rates that is uh, seizing the housing market. And we're seeing housing prices drop, but that really is not what we we care about with self-storage. It's the buying and selling. Mm -hmm. So you're having inventory rise in markets and it's not like I care if there's inventory or not, it's just because it's not selling, so there's no transaction, where 45% yeah. of our customers are driven by the selling of houses. So the yeah. core demand, right, for new units is dropping currently, excess supply entering into the market, right? And those two things are not a V thing. It's not like it's like 
that's just simply due to the off season, right? Mm -hmm. It's not simply th these, these forces are not because we're in the slow season and it's not the busy season and people that expect just this huge jump to happen again in the spring, right? That might not happen at all. If you're in a tight market, meaning you're in markets, which we have assets, which I'm like, we're not going to fill any of this. In fact, we were talking about one today where I was like, it's a development that we're going to be opening up. And I mean, I, I would open this thing up in the just, I'd open this up in the Great Recession. It's the market is so tight, we're going to be very insulated from a lot of those major impacts, right? Um, and so we're looking at those impacts across assets across the board. Uh, but if you're in a market that doesn't have growth rates that doesn't have that has excess supply new inventory right um these th it's going to be a change mm -hmm. and this market cycle is not simply a seasonality that will change and so waiting till next summer to see if it just bounce backs or passes right that is a very very bad move that you should not be doing or making you need to treat it today like it is and that is a fundamental shift in the economy and in this asset class in particular. Do not wait. Mm -hmm. No, I couldn't agree more, man. Well said. Um, and you, you briefly touched on, obviously, the interest rates, home ownership, buying, selling. Uh, I was listening to uh, George Gammon's uh, Rebel Capitalist podcast the other day. Really love his podcast. He talks all things markets. Um, these, these macroeconomic elements going on and all kinds of different aspects uh, of finance. But um, I can't remember if it was just just homeowner confidence or buyer seller confidence, but there there was a uh, there was data released just recently that, that said, you know, homeowner buyer seller confidence in the market right now is actually worse than what it was to the extent of being, you know, double plus. Um, than it was in 2007 yeah. and people's confidence of just the housing market in general uh, and again that's not going to change anytime soon and that's only going to continue to get worse yeah it's the so. fastest deceleration we've ever seen mm -hmm. yeah that's including in 2008 it's insane because and the reason why that has now does that mean it will be as bad or not at all uh the, the reason is is because the input that affect the housing market changed like that you're talking about like you know literally a couple weeks and it went from being incredible to like the worst most people have seen in their lifetime including us um in uh, a few weeks whereas in the recession the great recession right you had a supply problem and an overall demand problem that wasn't being addressed which created a, a huge gluttony of oversupplied lack of demand that just continued, it couldn't be resolved, right? There was nothing that could quickly be resolved or anything else. So because of that rapid change that we saw, homeowners' confidence and everything just plummeted, obviously, their ability to purchase a home was just shot, right? You're, you're, you doubled plus your payments. And for most people in an inflationary environment, you can't do that, it doesn't mm -hmm. work. So it was like an, a light switch, right, in the housing market. Um, and we, you saw that rapid change and that rapid uh, uh, switch that I think is very, very different in a good way to 2008. But for self-storage and others, uh, I think it's important to realize that 
rapid switch is so over exaggerated for us in our industry from the first quarter of last year, right, going into spring to next quarter, uh, spring of next quarter, you're talking about, I mean, overnight, the number one driver of our demand was just shot. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't think that that means that we're, one, I do not believe in any way, shape, or form in 2008. I don't believe we're gonna have mass defaults, anything else like that. And two, that actually may be worse for self-storage. And this is why. Self-storage, we need movement. So in 2008, you lost your house, you downsized, you had to move, you had to do something with all your stuff that you could no longer afford a house, going bankrupt, people are changing states, they're, right? All, movement is good for self-storage. Stagnation is bad. The interest rate change is a shutdown of the market, meaning the buying and the selling of assets, not a shutdown of the ability for the homeowners to keep paying their mortgage. That is not currently taking place. In fact, homeowners today are in a better position than, geez, they've almost ever been in because 99% of all of them have mortgage rates of three and a half percent, right? So as their income has risen over the years, but for self-storage, we do need to realize that, that that jolt, it's not seasonality, it's not bouncing back, right? It's not like the Fed is going to just drop interest rates back down to 3%, it's not happening. So we need to understand that it's probably gonna be a bigger in, impact on our demand than 2008 was for this asset class. So don't wait, don't adjust now, be prepared, be active, and you'll be fine, right? That's the key thing too here. If you, you've set your assets up accordingly, like we've talked about endlessly, you put the correct structure on the correct asset in a good market, it's great, you're gonna be fine. Adjust the inputs coming in and adjust your strategy on revenue management and you can still grow revenue mm -hmm. in a market like this. And, and monitor it to. consistently. Monitor <laughs> it consistently for changes. Yep. Don't ride on the laurels of the market don't expect the market to make you. This is all about you being proactive and getting out there. And if you can do that, you'll be good. You're set. You'll also be good if, uh, like we said, you go to YouTube, check out all the other videos AJ's got going on. Um, we've got AJ kicking out a ton of reels on Instagram, uh, shorts on YouTube, all these different things. So make sure you follow him on social media as well, yeah. uh, because we're talking about this stuff every single day, not just here on the podcast. So uh, this is the most important time to be oh, talking absolutely. about this because of the change. Yep, 100%. So make sure you guys are staying connected. Keep up with us on the website, social media, YouTube. And, and uh, give us a good rating on here, guys. 100%. If you liked it, please, five-star comment on it. That makes it for us. That makes us keep giving it on my other podcast, AJ Osborne Podcast. I have literally, I work with two firms that do research. I meet with them weekly or every other week, depending on holidays, things like that. There, we are We are going through this data that we're talking about. I have pages of housing data that I'm going over and looking at that I get on with them. And I we key into different subjects and different parts of it that I'm we're stress testing on outcomes. And on on our social media platforms, we're trying to make sure that that information is getting out in real time. Uh, and that's exactly in our uh, AJ Osborne podcast, I dive a lot into that. And I'm diving into a lot of the research done in the housing market by these firms that we work with. So mm -hmm. it's good information, everybody stay on top of it. We want everybody to be winning here. We're trying to make the self-storage market a good market. If your asset is failing, my asset's failing. Mm -hmm. I don't want that, okay? Yeah. 
Let's all be good operators. Let's do good things. Let's not make dumb decisions. Let's not develop in bad markets and overbuild, right? Rising tide lifts all ships, okay? Let's all do it together. And I hope we can help out in that process. 100%. Love it. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody.